0: Section six of Swanhild and other fairy tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Swanhild and other fairy tales by Wilhelm Hauff, translated by Carolyn Norris Horwitz. Section six the story of the severed hand i was born in constantinople my father was a dragoman at the city gate besides this he carried on a profitable trade with sweet-scented essence and silk stuffs he gave me a good education he instructed me partly himself and also had me taught by one of our priests at first he intended me to superintend his store but as i displayed greater talent than he had expected he placed me under the instruction of one of his friends who was a physician for a physician could make his fortune in constantinople if he were somewhat more learned than the ordinary mountebank very many frenchmen came to our house one of them persuaded my father to let me travel in his country to the city of paris there he asserted one could best learn the arts and at the least expense he said he would without charge take me back with him when he returned my father who had himself travelled when he was young consented the frenchman told me to be ready in three months time i was beside myself with joy and could scarcely wait for the hour when we should set sail at last the frenchman settled his affairs and was ready for the journey on the evening before we were to start my father led me to one of his private apartments there i saw several beautiful robes some weapons also were lying on the table but what most attracted my notice was a great pile of gold i had never seen so much together before my father clasped me in his arms and said see my son i have prepared clothes for you for the journey these weapons are yours they are the same which your grandfather gave me when i first set out on my travels i know you can wield them but never use them unless you are first attached then my boy strike back valiantly my fortune is not large see i have divided it into three parts one is yours one is for my maintenance and comfort the third is to me a sacred portion it must not be touched he added it is to serve you in the hour of necessity as my old father spoke tears filled his eyes perhaps from a foreboding of what might happen for i never saw him more we had a good voyage and soon reached france six days journey by land brought us to the great city of paris here my french friend hired a room for me and advised me to use my money which amounted in all to ten thousand francs very carefully i lived three years in this city and learned all that a thorough physician ought to know it is but the truth however to say that i did not enjoy myself there the customs of the people did not please me then too i made but few good friends there these few however were all noble young men the longing to be at home again at last became strong within me all the time i had been away i had heard nothing of my father and i seized the first favorable opportunity to return to my home a french embassy was about to start from paris on its journey to the court of turkey i persuaded the ambassador to employ me as surgeon to himself and retinue and so traveled comfortably to constantinople i found my father's house shut up the neighbors were astonished when they saw me and told me that my father had been dead two months a doctor whom i had known well in my youth brought me the key alone and forlorn i went into the desolate house i found everything as my father had left it only the gold which he had promised me to leave untouched was missing i asked the doctor where it was he replied i was a good friend to your father and he left me all his money as a proof of his gratitude remembering the words of my father at parting this was to me incomprehensible yet what could i do i had neither evidence nor witness against the doctor and i could only rejoice that he had not also taken my father's house and goods as a legacy this was the first misfortune that befell me from that time on however there came blow upon blow my reputation as a physician did not increase for i was ashamed to advertise and recommend myself and above all i missed the influence of my father who would have introduced me to the richest and most distinguished of the citizens but now no one thought of poor Zeleucus. also i could find no sale for my father's goods for since his death his customers had gone elsewhere and it is slow work to find new ones while i was thus brooding disconsolately over my sad situation a new thought struck me i had often seen among our people frenchmen who travel through our land seeking for their goods a market in the different cities the people were always eager to buy from them because their goods came from foreign lands in this way the foreigners could make nearly a hundred per cent immediately my resolution was taken i sold my father's house and gave part of the money that i received for it to a trustworthy friend to keep in reserve with the rest i bought the things which were most rare in france such as shawls silk stuffs salves and oils i took passage on a ship and started on my second voyage to france it seemed as if good fortune came to me again as soon as i had passed the castles of the dardanelles our voyage was short and pleasant i traveled throughout france and found everywhere in the large and small cities willing customers for my goods my friend in constantinople kept me supplied with a fresh stock and i became wealthier day by day at last when i had made so much money that i thought i could venture on a larger enterprise i travelled with goods into italy i must however mention one thing which brought me not a little money that is i used my knowledge of medicine to help me in increasing my fortune when i came to a city i had it published abroad that a celebrated greek physician had arrived who had already made many wonderful cures and truly my salves and medicines have brought me many seconds at last in my travels i reached the city of florence in italy i intended to reside there for a long time partly because i was pleased with the place and partly because i wished to recover from the fatigue of the journey thither i hired a warehouse by the city gate not far from it i secured also two handsome rooms which were connected by a balcony to an inn immediately i sent out my cards that advertised me as a physician and merchant i had scarcely opened my warehouse when the people came pouring in and although my prices were a little higher yet i sold more than did other merchants because i took pains to make myself agreeable to my customers i had already spent four days very pleasantly in florence one evening after i had shut up my warehouse and according to my custom each evening was rearranging the stock in my salvatory i found in a small box a note which i did not recollect having placed there i opened it it proved to be a request that at exactly twelve o'clock that night i would be on the bridge which is called the ponte vecchio i was greatly puzzled over this note i knew no one in florence finally i concluded that some one wished to take me secretly to see a sick person such a summons had often come to me before i determined to go to the bridge i took the precaution however to carry along the sabre which my father had given me as it drew near midnight i started on my way i soon reached the ponte vecchio the bridge was forsaken and dreary but i resolved to wait until the one who had summoned me should appear it was a cold night the moon shone brightly and lost in thought i gazed down upon the waves of the arno as they sparkled in the moonlight the clock in the nearest church steeple struck twelve i turned my head and there right before me stood a large man he was wrapped in a red mantle one end of which he held in front of his face at first i was somewhat frightened his approach had been so sudden but i soon recovered my composure and immediately said if you have sent for me to come here speak out and tell me what service i can render you the disguised man turned himself around and said slowly follow but my courage was not sufficient to allow me to go alone with this unknown man wherever he should choose to guide me i therefore said not so my dear sir will you not first tell me where you wish to lead me and also can you not let me see a little of your face that i may judge if you be friend or foe at this he seemed to take offence if you will not follow zaleukas then remain where you are he answered and went on thereupon my anger was kindled do you suppose i cried out that i will allow myself to be trifled with in this way by every fool who chooses to mock me or that i would have waited here this cold night for nothing in three springs i had gained his side and seizing him by the cloak i cried out loudly for help while i laid my other hand on my sabre but the cloak remained in my grasp the unknown man had disappeared around the next corner by degrees my anger subsided i had the cloak that surely would aid me in finding out who this strange adventurer could be flinging the garment across my arm i started toward home i was scarcely more than a hundred steps from the bridge when some one touched me lightly on the shoulder and whispered in french be on your guard master there is nothing to be made to-night before i could face my informer he was gone all that i could see was a shadow gliding past the houses that the message referred to the red cloak and not to me i could readily understand but that threw no light on the subject the next morning i pondered the matter well at first i concluded to advertise the cloak saying i had found it but on second thought i knew that would be unwise the unknown man could send one of his friends for the garment and i would never get an explanation of the affair while i was considering what to do i examined the mantle more closely it was made of heavy purple-red genoese velvet trimmed with astrakhan fur and richly embroidered with gold the magnificence of the garment suggested a new idea one i determined to carry out i took the cloak to my warehouse and presented it for sale fixing the price too high to find a purchaser my motive was to take particular notice of the face and features of any one who should ask for a fur-trimmed cloak for although after the loss of the mantle the unknown had fled so swiftly his manner was so determined that i was certain i should recognize him anywhere the extraordinary beauty of the cloak attracted the attention of all but no one who came to examine the garment in the least resembled the unknown man neither were any willing to pay the high price i had set upon it upon asking one after another of my customers if there were no other such mantles in florence they all answered no and declared they had never before seen so tasty and elegant a piece of work that evening a young man came into my store i had often seen him there and indeed he had that very day offered a high price for the mantle throwing a purse of zekind's on to the counter he said zeleukas i must have your mantle if paying the high price that you ask for it leaves me a beggar and at once he began to count out his gold pieces i was much troubled at this i had displayed the mantle only in hopes that the attention of the unknown man might be attracted by it now this young simpleton had come and was willing to pay the enormous price at which i had valued it but what was i to do i had to consent to sell it in one way i was greatly benefited by the transaction for by so doing i was handsomely paid for my night's adventure the youth took the garment and started off on the threshold he turned loosening a paper which was fastened to the mantle he threw it toward me saying here zaleukos is something which certainly does not belong to the mantle i took the note indifferent as to its contents opening it i read bring the mantle to-night at the same appointed hour to the ponte vecchio four hundred seconds await you there i stood as if transfixed to the spot i had thrown away my fortune and failed in my first endeavour i did not wait long however hastily gathering up the two hundred seconds i had taken in exchange for the garment i ran after the man take back your zekins, good friend i cried and give me the mantle i cannot possibly part with it at first the young man took my request as a joke but finding that i was in earnest he flew into a passion he called me hard names finally we came to blows i was fortunate enough however in the struggle to drag the mantle away from him and then tried to hurry off with it but he called on the police for help and they took us both before a judge the judge was much surprised at the cause of our dispute and gave the mantle to my opponent i offered the young man twenty fifty eighty and at last a hundred seconds beside his two hundred if he would give me back the mantle the money had the desired effect he took the three hundred seconds and i went off with the mantle although i knew that all the men in florence took me for a fool or madman but the opinion of the people was of no consequence to me i knew what they did not that i would gain a hundred seconds by the bargain i awaited the night with impatience at the same hour as before i went to the Ponte Vecchio. with the last stroke of the steeple-clock the figure came from out of the darkness it was seemingly the same man whom i had seen the previous night have you the mantle were his first words yes master i answered but it cost me a full hundred seconds be content said he here are four hundred seconds he went with me to the wide rail of the bridge and counted out the gold pieces the four hundred seconds were mine they glittered magnificently in the moonlight and their lustre made my heart glad ah little did i guess that it would be my heart's last joy i put the gold in my pocket i had a great desire to see the face of this generous stranger but he wore a heavy mask from out of which gleamed a pair of piercing black eyes i thank you sir for your bounty i ventured to say and now what else can i do for you i tell you however first that it must not be anything wrong it was unnecessary for you to say that he answered as he threw the mantle around his shoulders i need your help as a surgeon yet not for a living person but for a dead body how can that be i cried in astonishment i came hither with my sister from foreign lands he replied and at the same time beckoned me to follow him i live here with her at a relative's house my sister died suddenly yesterday and her kinsfolk wished to bury her to-morrow according to an old custom of our family all must rest in the vault of our ancestors nevertheless many who die in foreign lands are embalmed and buried in the place where they die i have granted our relatives here her body but i must at least take my father the head of his daughter that he may see her face once again to fulfil this wish was to me something terrible yet i dare not turn back for by so doing i might offend this unknown man i therefore told him that i could go in as the embalmer and bade him lead me to the apartment of his dead sister i could not refrain from asking why all this must be done so secretly and in the dead of night he informed me that his relatives who considered his intention a barbarous one would be present during the day and prevent him from having it done but when the head was once taken off there was nothing more to be said about it he would not have sent for me only a very natural feeling had deterred him from cutting off the head of his own sister although she was dead we had by this time arrived before a large and magnificent house my companion pointed it out to me as the end of our midnight walk we passed the chief entrance and went in through a postern gate which my unknown guide fastened carefully behind him a narrow winding flight of steps led into a dimly lighted passage along this we passed and at the end of the passage we came to a room lighted by a lamp hanging from the ceiling in this apartment there was a bed on the bed lay a corpse the unknown stranger turned his face away as if to hide his tears he pointed to the bed and bade me execute my work well and quickly then he left the room i opened my case of knives which as a surgeon i always carried with me and approached the bed only the head of the corpse was visible but that was so beautiful that i was seized with the most heartfelt sympathy her dark hair hung down in long tresses the face was pale the eyes were closed i summoned all my fortitude taking my sharpest knife with one stroke i cut through the jugular vein oh horror the dead one opened her eyes but closed them again immediately and with deep groans seemed to breathe out her life at the same time a stream of warm blood flowed from out the wound that she was now dead there was no doubt for there was no healing such a gash for some minutes i stood stunned by what had happened and full of grief and horror had the stranger deceived me or had his sister perhaps been entranced the latter seemed to me the more probable but i dared not tell her brother that a slighter cut would have awakened without killing her therefore i wished to detach the head entirely from the body once again she groaned and writhing as if in terrible pain expired at this i was overwhelmed with horror and ran shuddering out of the apartment in the passage i found myself in total darkness for the lamp had gone out i could discover no trace of my unknown guide and i had to feel my way along by the wall that i might reach the winding steps i found them at last and half falling half sliding i gained the bottom here also there was no one to be seen the door however stood open and i breathed more freely when i reached the street i had scarcely dared to breathe at all in that house spurred on by terror i soon reached my dwelling and rushing into my room buried my face in the pillows of my bed striving to forget the dreadful deed i had done but it was long before i fell asleep and upon awakening in the morning the terrible scene returned to my mind nor could i shake it off it seemed most probable to me that the man who had been the cause of my committing this atrocious deed would not betray me i therefore determined to go on with my business and my warehouse and as far as possible to assume an unconcerned manner but a new thought which just then flashed into my mind increased my anxiety my cap and girdle were missing so also was my case of knives and i was uncertain whether i had left them in that terrible room or had lost them in my flight alas the former seemed the more probable and if so i would be detected as a murderer i opened my warehouse at the usual hour my neighbor came in immediately as he was in the habit of doing each morning being a sociable and communicative sort of person ah friend what do you say to the terrible deed he began that happened last night i pretended to know nothing about it how is it that you know nothing of the story with which the whole city is filled do you not know that the loveliest flower of florence bianca the daughter of the governor was murdered last night ah i saw her only yesterday so happy driving through the streets with her betrothed to-day was to have been their wedding-day every word was a dagger in my heart and how often was the torture renewed for each one of my customers told me the story and each related it in a more terrible manner than his predecessor and yet no one could relate anything half so shocking as what i myself had witnessed the previous night about midday an officer from the court came into my warehouse and bid me step apart from the people signor zaleucas said he as he produced the articles which i had lost do these belong to you at first i had thought to steadily disown them but through the half-open door i could see my landlord and others they could easily bear evidence against me so i determined not to make the matter worse by telling a lie but confessed myself the owner of the articles in question the officer bade me follow him he led me to a large building which i recognized as the prison there he conducted me with but little ceremony to one of the cells my situation was terrible as i meditated in my solitude on the occurrences of the preceding night the thought of having committed murder although involuntarily was ever uppermost in my mind i could not conceal from myself the fact that the glitter of the gold had confused my mind else i would not have fallen so blindly into the trap two hours after my imprisonment i was led out from my cell i was conducted down a long flight of steps and thence into a large court-room around a long table draped in black sat twelve men benches were placed along the sides of the apartment these were filled with the most distinguished citizens of florence the high galleries on either side of the room were densely crowded with spectators when i had reached the draped table one of the men arose in a sad mournful manner it was the governor addressing the assembly he said that as the father of the murdered one could not sit as judge he resigned his place to the oldest of the senators this senator was aged and bent with years his temples were thin and prominent and his hair pure white but his eyes flashed like fire and his voice was strong and steady he began at once by asking me if i confessed to having committed the murder i begged him to give me a hearing and related boldly and in a distinct tone of voice what i had done and all i knew i noticed that during my narrative the governor turned first pale and then red when i had finished his wrath broke out in words wretch he cried out to me so you wish to impute to another the crime which you have perpetrated to satisfy your avarice the old senator checked him in his interruption reminding him that he had voluntarily resigned his seat as chief judge furthermore he said it was not yet proved that i had committed the crime out of avarice for according to the governor's own testimony nothing had been stolen indeed he went further he declared to the governor that he must give an account of his daughter's early life only by so doing could it be determined whether or not i had spoken the truth he then adjourned the court for that day that after learning from the governor the story of his daughter's life he might hold counsel with the other senators i was led back to my cell where i spent a sad day most devoutly did i wish that the court might discover some connection between the murdered bianca and the owner of the red mantle the next day i entered the court-room full of hope a large pile of papers lay on the table the old senator asked me if they were in my handwriting i looked at them the letters were in the same handwriting as the two cards which i had received asking me to come to the ponte vecchio i so informed the senators they insisted however that i must have written them the signature of each they said was undoubtedly a z and this was the initial of my name the letters shown me contained threats to the murdered lady and warnings because of her marriage which was about to take place the governor must have given special orders with regard to me for during my imprisonment i was treated with suspicion and severity at first i hoped the truth of my story might be proved by the two notes from the stranger which were in my apartments but i was told that the rooms had been searched and no papers found at the conclusion of that day's session all hope had forsaken me on the third day i was again led into the court and was told the verdict i was found guilty of wilful murder and was condemned to death ah thus had it come to pass bereft of all that was dear to me on earth far from my native land in the flower of my life guiltless must die on the block on the evening of that awful day which had decided my fate i sat in my solitary dungeon all hope had fled my thoughts were on the morrow and my death suddenly the door opened and a man stepped in who gazed upon me for some time in silence so i have found you again Lucas," said he i had not recognized him by the dim light of my lamp but the sound of his voice awakened in me old recollections it was belletti one of those young friends whom i had known during my student life in paris he said he was on a visit to florence where his father resided a much esteemed and influential man on hearing my story he had come that he might see me once more and hear from my own lips what reason i could have had for committing such a deed i told him my story he seemed greatly moved he besought me to tell him my only friend everything not to go from life with a falsehood on my lips i swore to him by the most solemn oath i could conjure that my only fault in the matter had been my greed for gain blinded by the glitter of the gold i had not considered the improbability of the unknown man's story then you did not know bianca said my friend i told him that i had never seen her before a deep secret underlies the deed said he then informed me that the governor very strongly urged my condemnation that it was rumored that he said that i had known bianca for some time i had murdered her so the story ran out of revenge and because of her betrothal to another i reminded Belletti that this report was very likely due to the owner of the red mantle yet i had no proof to show his share in the deed Belletti embraced me with tears in his eyes he promised to do all in his power that could in the least tend to save my life but i had little hope i knew beledi to be a wise and learned man and one well versed in the law i also knew that he would try by every available means to save me and still my courage sank two long days i was kept in suspense at last beledi appeared i bring encouragement Zeleucus, he cried though it is burdened with a penalty you are not to die you are to go free but with the loss of a hand i thanked him gratefully for my life he then told me that the governor could not be persuaded to investigate the case further not to seem unjust however he had agreed that if in the chronicles of florence a similar case could be found then my punishment should be the same as the one inflicted therein Balletti and his father had both of them searched day and night in all the old books of record and had at last been rewarded by finding what they sought the sentence thus discovered read his left hand shall be struck off his goods confiscated and he himself be banished for ever this then was to be my punishment too my task was to prepare myself for the painful hour that awaited me i will not picture the dreadful scene enough to say that standing in an open market-place i laid my hand upon the block and saw my own blood flow from it over foreign soil when the terrible ordeal was ended belletti took me to his house there i remained until my wound had partially healed when i was able to depart my old friend supplied me with ample travelling money all the fortune i had toiled so hard to accumulate had fallen a booty into the hands of the law i travelled from florence to sicily from thence i left by the first ship for constantinople my only hope of support was the sum of money left with my friend i also begged him to allow me to live with him imagine my surprise and astonishment when he asked why i did not take possession of my own house he then went on to explain a foreigner had bought in my name a house in the greek quarter the same man had also told the neighbors that i would soon arrive accompanied by my friend i had once visited that part of the city i was received with joy by all my old acquaintances an old merchant handed me a letter this same foreigner he said had left it in his care i opened it and read two hands are ready to work hard that you may not feel the loss of one of yours this house and all it contains is yours and every year you shall receive so much money that you will be counted among the richest of your people enjoy your ease and forgive if you can one who is more unhappy than you i could guess the writer the merchant told me that it was a man whom he took to be a frenchman he wore a red mantle this great show of liberality caused me to believe that the unknown man was not altogether without heart and feeling everything in my new house was of the best there was likewise a warehouse stocked with goods far handsomer than any i had ever owned ten years have passed i still continue in business but it is more from the force of habit than because i have need of so doing the land where i was so unfortunate i have never seen since parting with good every year since then i have received a thousand pieces of gold it brings me many comforts and much pleasure i am truly grateful to the unhappy man for his liberality yet it cannot atone for the sorrow and anguish of soul which i have suffered and must ever endure for no matter how lively the scene or how gay the pleasure there is ever before me an awful picture it is the face of the murdered Bianca. seleucus the greek merchant finished his story the others had listened with great interest but the stranger especially seemed to be much affected by the sad narrative several times he had sighed deeply while muley took the story so much to heart that at one stop tears stood in his eyes for some time they talked over the troubles through which poor Zeleucus had passed then the stranger said and do you not hate this unknown man who was the cause of your losing so useful a member of your body this fellow who brought your very life into such great danger well the greek replied i grant i did in days gone by there were times when my heart cried out to god for vengeance on the one who had brought this great sorrow upon me and embittered my life but i found comfort in the faith of my fathers i am a christian and that faith teaches me to love my enemies of one thing moreover i am certain he is even more unhappy than i am seleucus you are a noble man the stranger exclaimed and he grasped the hand of the greek the leader of the guards now interrupted the merchants in their conversation hurriedly entering the tent he informed them that it was no time for rest as they were near to the place where caravans were frequently attacked indeed he reported that the sentinels thought they saw in the distance a body of horsemen at this news the merchants were much disturbed but selim the stranger seemed quite at ease he remarked that the guards were so well armed that they had no cause to fear a troop of thieving arabs indeed sir replied the captain of the guard if that were all we might take our ease without danger but we fear that these may be the terrible Orbasan and his men if so it behooves us to be on our guard the stranger asked who this orbison was and achmet the oldest merchant answered there are many reports among the people about this wonderful man some hold that he is a supernatural being because of his remarkable courage he has often entered alone into combat with five or six men and overcome them others think him to be a courageous frank whom misfortune has driven to this country but all agree that he is a notable robber and thief and yet that is not proven exclaimed one of the merchants named liza and even if he is a robber he is also a most noble man as such he has shown himself to my brother the incidents i could relate to you he keeps all his band under excellent control and discipline and as long as he roams through the desert no other banditti dare show themselves besides this he does not rob as other Bedouin do he demands only a moderate sum of money from caravans and in return ensures them his protection in the desert against other banditti those who pay this fee willingly may go on unmolested for orbasan is lord of the desert so spake the travelers in the tent but the guards who were stationed around the resting-place began to grow uneasy a considerable body of armed men rode toward them from the distance they seemed to be riding straight for the camp one of the guards went to the tent to announce that they would probably soon be attacked the merchants consulted together as to what was to be done should they advance to meet the robbers or await the attack achmet and liza preferred the latter course the fiery muley however and Zaleukas, the greek were in favor of doing the former they called upon the stranger to come on their side the stranger quietly drew from his girdle a small piece of blue cloth dotted with red stars this he bound to the top of a lance and ordered one of the slaves to hoist it on the top of the tent that is a pledge for our lives said he when the horsemen see this sign they will ride quietly off muley had no faith in the flag of truce but the slave placed the lance as he had been ordered meanwhile all seized their weapons and with anxious expectation awaited the approach of the horsemen the would-be assailants however seemed to have been influenced by the flag on the tent for they turned suddenly in their onward course and rode rapidly away in another direction the merchants stood for a few moments in perfect amazement they gazed first at the retreating horseman and then at the stranger the latter stood in the door of the tent quite unconcerned looking off upon the plain as if nothing had happened muley was the first to break the silence who are you mighty stranger he exclaimed that you by a sign can restrain the wild hordes of the desert you value my art higher than its worth answered selim baruch i provided myself with this signal when i escaped from my captivity what its meaning is to them i do not myself know only this i know that he who travels with this signal is under the protection of some mighty power the merchants thanked the stranger and called him their benefactor and truly the number of the horsemen had been so great that the caravan could not long have offered successful resistance with light hearts the merchants now gave themselves up to rest when at last the sun began to sink and the evening wind arose over the sandy plain they broke up the camp and went on their journey. The next day they pitched their tents, only one day's journey distant from the borders of the desert, and when they had again assembled in the common tent, Liza began the conversation. I told you yesterday, he said, that the dreaded Orbison is a noble man. Allow me today to relate to you the story of my brother's adventure. End of section six